Good evening. Welcome to our Good Friday service. My name is Pastor Victor. I'm the family pastor here. Thank you for joining us on this Good Friday. And for many of us, it seems like Easter has just crept up, surprised us. It's been a year now, being staying at home. But tonight we have a precious moment, a precious moment to dwell on the cross and see our Lord and see his goodness on Good Friday. So would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you for this moment. So many times we want to move past what's difficult. And yet we have Good Friday here to dwell, to sit, to rest, to meditate on the cross. And so, God, I pray that we would not miss you tonight. And most of all, we would not miss your goodness here on Good Friday. And so, God, I pray you now open our hearts to your word. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Good Friday. It seems like an oxymoron, right? Good Friday. I mean, services often resemble a memorial service. People are wearing dark clothes. The mood is very somber. It's very sad. So what's so good about Good Friday? It seems a little strange. It seems a little awkward. And for many of us, I think we want to skip straight to Easter, right, and rejoice. So why do we have to go through Good Friday? What's the big deal? Why even call it Good Friday? And yet I know that maybe something was carried over in the language. Good refers to holy. And so this is actually Holy Friday. And yet, why still do we call it Good Friday? Why do we call it Good Friday? What's so good about Good Friday? Well, tonight, my hope is that we can see the goodness of the Lord in Good Friday and that we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't skip past it to Easter and celebrate, but we would just sit right here on Good Friday. We would sit at the foot of the cross and we would see the goodness of the Lord. And so tonight, I'll be going through three passages And we're trying to see what's happening here on Good Friday at the cross within the Godhead. We're trying to see the goodness of the Lord here on Good Friday. So where do we see the goodness of the Lord on Good Friday? Well, first, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Where do we see the goodness of the Lord? On Good Friday, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Where do we see the goodness of the Lord on Good Friday? On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord in the ransoming heart of the Father. On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord in the heart of the Father that would ransom and rescue sinners like you and me. Let's read Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is a very interesting verse right here. The larger passage is a famous passage about the suffering servant. This is a prophecy of Isaiah the prophet. And this is commonly attributed to Jesus as a suffering servant. And so we believe that this is who Isaiah is speaking about, Jesus, the Son. Yet this is so tricky and complicated why you can tell that translators don't really know what to do with this verse. You see this word here in the ESV, it says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That same word, will, is actually translated delight. Just in Isaiah chapter 1, it says, I do not delight. Isaiah 42, I delight. And so there's a positive connotation here in this word will. And yet this is so tricky to translate. Why? Because you see that same word at the end of the verse. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And so why would translators here translate this will rather than delight or in other translations, pleasure? Well, hear. Hear how it sounds. Yet it was the Lord's pleasure to crush him. He has put him to grief. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. He has put him to grief. Yet it was the delight of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You see why translators have difficulty here? It sounds very disturbing. I believe here it speaks of the Father. Why would the Father take delight in crushing the Son? Why would the Father take pleasure and be pleased to put him to grief? And again, whatever word you use here at the beginning of the verse, you have to use at the end. It brackets this verse. So why? Why was the Father pleased to crush the Son? Well, if you really look at it here, let's look on at the verse, okay? Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. He has put him to grief. Here's the key right here, and here's where it turns. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... When the Son makes an offering for our guilt, our sin, and it is sufficient, it is enough, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the good pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, the Father does not delight in the crushing of the Son. He delights that the Son has given a sufficient offering for our sin. He delights that the Son has provided a ransom for you and me. It's sufficient. It's enough. The Father looks at the Son and says, yes. He is not just satisfied. He is pleased. And so you see 
the heart of the Father here. His pleasure is in ransoming sinners like you and me. That's why he is pleased to crush the Son. He has put him to grief because that crushing and that grief is momentary. But look what happens. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. This grief, this crushing, this suffering is momentary, but the Father's exaltation of the Son is eternal. The good pleasure of the Lord, the Father shall prosper in his hand. And so see the heart of the Father here. I was just talking with Pastor Kenny here this morning, and we were talking about it. How as fathers, we don't like to see our kids suffer, right? As a parent, we don't like to see our children agonize and struggle. But as parents, we can see beyond just the suffering, and we could see the character that's being formed. We could see that the Lord is growing our children through tough trials, right? You see the Father's heart in this. When the Son was crushed and put to grief on the cross, the Father had the eternal perspective to see that this would ransom sinners like you and me, that the suffering and grief of the Son would not be forever, but His exaltation, yes, would be. You see, people believe that he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, speaks of the resurrection. The son, he is not forever put to grief or crushed. He will forever be exalted at the right hand of the father. John Piper has a a very helpful illustration. It's so neat because John Piper came up with an illustration to to illustrate what's happening between father and son here in this verse on the cross. Right here in Isaiah 53, verse 10. And John Piper likens this to a story, an illustration. A father and son who are free. They come up with a rescue plan to free a people enslaved. But this rescue plan hinges on the life of the son. It would require the sacrifice of the son. And so just as the son is about to embark on the rescue mission, he looks at the father and he says, I love you, father. And with the assurance of heaven on their hearts, the father with joy takes a deep breath, looks on the son He says, I love you too, son. See the heart of the father. His heart that would ransom sinners like you and me, that would come up with this rescue plan. Yes, it required the son, but he was pleased because it was sufficient. It was enough. And he has rescued sinners like you and me. See the heart of the Father. On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord where? 
and the ransoming heart of the Father. Next on Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord and the life-giving death of the Son. We see the goodness of the Lord in the life-giving sacrificial death of the Son. Turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. This is a famous passage. John 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus here declares that he is the good shepherd. He is the good, it could also be translated noble shepherd. The good and noble shepherd. Why does Jesus declare that he is the good shepherd? Because he's contrasting himself with the leaders who have come before him and the leaders of that day. He likens the leaders of the day to hired hands. At the first sight of danger, they flee because they do not care for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good and noble shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now it's interesting, I can't help but remember I traveled to Turkey in seminary and we were trying to follow the missionary journeys of Paul. And as we were at an ancient site, we heard the bleeding of sheep. In comes these sheep. I don't know if you've ever seen sheep before, but they're quite clueless, dumb and stupid for sure. And in walks a shepherd. And maybe we think this shepherd would come and he'd be all grand and mighty and, I don't know, flowing cape and all. I was appalled. This shepherd looked like he came off the streets. He was filthy. He looked like a transient. And I can't help but think of that image. Okay, have that image in your mind. And I would say, even though that was a modern-day shepherd, I would say that shepherd is probably not too far off from the shepherds of Jesus' day. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a shepherd who would lay down his life for these clueless and dumb sheep. You'd be hard-pressed. And even if you found a shepherd who said, yes, I am willing to lay down my life for these clueless animals, when danger comes... Push comes to shove. Will the shepherd really lay down his life? Or would he take off and run? You see, it's one thing to say that you're willing to lay down your life for the sheep. But Jesus here declares it. He declares it and he doesn't just declare it, he does it. 
I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what makes him the good and noble shepherd. And why? You ever wonder that? Why would Jesus, the good and noble shepherd, lay down his life willingly for the sheep like you and me? Because he loves us. Because he cares for us. Because he says he knows us. Just as the Father knows him, he knows us. I want you to try to wrap your mind around this. Good Friday doesn't make sense because the goodness of the Lord doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus lay down his life for you and me on the cross on Good Friday? Because he loves us. He cares for us. I want you to sit on that. I want you to chew on that. On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord in the ransoming heart of the Father. We see the goodness of the Lord in the life-giving death of the Son. Finally, we see the goodness of the Lord on Good Friday in the never-ending presence of the Spirit. We see the goodness of the Lord in the never-ending forever presence, God himself with us in the Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. It's known as part of the farewell discourse. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, his friends, right before he is about to depart to be arrested, suffer, die, and raised on the third day. And Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is better. It is for your good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, Jesus writes this to his disciples right before he is about to be arrested, suffer, die on the cross and raised on the third day. And you can imagine, if we know this account, this goes right over the heads of the disciples. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And yet, John, one of the closest friends of Jesus, one of the closest disciples, he writes this some 50 years later. He's looking back. He remembers Jesus said this. And I want you to catch this. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is for your good that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, let's be clear here. Jesus isn't saying that there's some mutually exclusive relationship here. I leave, the Spirit fills my seat, kind of thing. What Jesus is talking about here is unless he dies on the cross, unless 
He gives his life as an offering for our sin. The new covenants, this ushering of the new covenant, the pouring out of the Spirit, God giving us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, God writing his law upon our hearts, this new covenant cannot happen unless Jesus lays down his life on the cross. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Unless he departs, he cannot send the Spirit to usher in this new covenant. Now this is a verse that I've wrestled with because it just doesn't really make sense. I think if you're like me, so much of us long to be back and to see Jesus in the flesh, right? To see him walk the earth, to hear him preach, to see him in the flesh and even get a touch of his robe. I mean, wouldn't you want to do that? How we long, especially in this uncertain and crazy time, wouldn't we long for Jesus in the flesh to be here? Jesus says, it is better that I depart. So Jesus is saying, it is better that he go because one person, okay, note Jesus, God in flesh, God in one person, one moment in time, one location for limited time versus the Spirit in his people, thousands of miles to all nations, to generation after generation after generation until the end of the age. What would you rather have? You see, commentator D.A. Carson writes, millions were there when Jesus walked the earth, and yet they ignored his claims. And yet when he died and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Spirit was poured out, millions who never saw him confessed his name. Why? Because of the Spirit, the new covenant. And so I understand. I understand we do not want to lose Our best friend, much less our Lord. Can you imagine the disciples here? No, don't go. You're talking crazy. And yet, what would you rather have? Your Lord, your best friend, for a few years, one moment, one location, one time, or the Lord himself in you, right here, tonight, thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, thousands of years after Jesus' death on the cross to generation to generation to all nations, peoples after peoples until the end of the age. That's why it's better. That's why it's for our good. And what do we get with the Spirit? Right? I think... If we really think about it, we can imagine the Father. Okay, this is the Father's plan, his grand rescue plan. It hinges on the Son. The Son gives his life. The Father gives his Son. But what's the Spirit? 
Where's the Spirit? Why is He so important? I don't want you to miss this, okay? When Jesus sends the Spirit, when the Spirit is poured out on His people, the Lord gives not just His grace, not just His mercy, not just His love, the Lord gives Himself in us. The Lord gives Himself in us every moment, every day, until the end of the age. What would you rather have? I mean, just meditate on that. Sit on that. See the goodness of the Lord. On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord and the ransoming heart of the Father. Do not miss the heart of the Father here. On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord in the life-giving death of the Son. He lays down his life for you and me in the face of impending eternal judgment. On Good Friday, we see the goodness of the Lord in the never-ending presence. The Spirit, the Lord, gives himself to us, in us, Amazing, amazing. And so I ask the question, the title of this sermon, what's so good about Good Friday? What's so good about Good Friday? And to put it very concisely, the Lord. The Lord is so good. Amen? The Lord is so good. From all eternity, the Father gives his Son. The Son gives his life. The Spirit gives himself in us. From all eternity, the Lord gives and he gives and he gives. He's good. And I can imagine... On Good Friday, we look at the cross and as I've described and try to figure out what's happening within the Godhead from all eternity, I imagine the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, they're kind of huddled up there in the middle of the field. They got their arms around each other. They've got this grand rescue plan. I'm going to give you, Son. Son, I'm going to give my life. Son says, Spirit, you can give yourself. They're huddled up there in the middle of the field. And we're on the sideline seeing this. And I want you to think about this. Because as they give and give and have this plan, it's for you and me. Here we are on the sideline. Yes, it's for God's glory, but for our sake. Why? Let that sink in your heart. Why give of yourself? Who can know the cost on the cross? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Why would you rescue us? Because the Lord is good. He is so, so good. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, God, we stand in awe of the love that was poured out on us at the cross. And forgive us for too often we want to move past Good Friday because it's so gruesome, so agonizing, so heartbreaking. We want to move past the suffering. We want to move past the death and jump to the resurrection. And yet, God, I thank you for your grace that we have Good Friday to remember to sit because we see your goodness. In the agony, in the suffering, in the death, we see your goodness in how you give and you give and you give. And I pray that we would marvel at this goodness. I pray that we would rejoice at it. I pray that your goodness from Good Friday would so much overshadow anything we're going through right now, God. To remember how you ransomed sinners like us to make children of God. We stand in all of you. We thank you. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, the Son who laid down his life for our sake as our good and noble shepherd. Thank you. Amen.